Our sermon scripture again comes from Acts chapter 10, and I'll be reading the 34th through the 43rd verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee and after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree. And him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people but to the witnesses chosen before by God even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. In my studies, I, when I prepare for the message, I find a lot of things that I like when I start learning about some of these people in the Bible. You know, we often like to tell stories and we put the people in those stories as heroes. And so naturally it tends to happen that we put some of the people in the Bible stories as heroes as well. And yes, they did heroic things. And yes, they did some things that made us who we are today. And that's the reason why we're here. But I don't always look into the Bible for heroes. These days, I look into the Bible for friends. Mm. You take someone like Peter. Peter's one of the most prominent disciples in the Bible. Mentioned well over 150 times, but he has his ups and downs. See, Peter didn't always have the best attitude at times. His upbringing would have made some say that he was unfit for church leadership. But God still used him. Yes, you. when you read your Bible and learn about Peter, Peter had a few cuss words to say from time to time. He wasn't always quoting the 23rd Psalm or Isaiah or any of those other things. Sometimes he said some things that were not nice. And Peter was packing from time to time. When Judas had betrayed Jesus and the soldiers came to get him, Peter had a sword. Peter pulled out that sword and cut one of the soldiers' ears off. Mm. And Jesus had to tell him to put the sword away. 
and then put the soldier's ear back on. And I noticed, though, while I'm there, he didn't tell him to not have the sword. He just said to put it away. All right. All right. All right. Hmm. Peter was known to deny Jesus when the stuff got hot. He said that Jesus told him that he would deny him three times before the rooster crowed, and he did. Peter. But with all of that that was going on in his past, God still said that he was fit for the kingdom. All right. So if God can use somebody that don't always say the right thing, if God can use someone who might have failed once or twice or three times before, if God can use somebody like that who isn't always docile, who might be a little bit in your face, if God can use somebody like that for the kingdom, then maybe, just maybe, God can use me. And then you have someone in the text. He's not mentioned, but that's who Peter is talking to. It's Cornelius. Cornelius was a God-fearer. And when you hear the term God-fearer in the New Testament, that means that they believe in God, but they weren't necessarily Jewish. He had some leadership. He had some, some soldiers under him. But he was not born Jewish. A God fear was someone who would have practiced some of the Hebrew rituals, someone who would have read the scriptures, somebody who would have maybe even supported the Jewish people at that time. But he wasn't born into the right family. And so I look at somebody like Cornelius and I get happy about that because that is what Peter came to talk to him about. So even though I love my last name, I love my family. I love the family I was born into, but if you told me that for some odd reason that my pedigree limited my potential, I love it here that though Cornelius was not born into the right family, his potential was not limited. His lineage did not limit him. His potential did not limit his power. He was still able to do things. Peter went on to be known as an eloquent preacher, a miracle worker. He had administrative skills helping to organize the early church. Forward after Christ rose from the dead and had his ascension. But imagine if he'd have just been left on the dock fishing. Imagine if somebody would have said, I don't like the way you talk. So therefore, you are unfit for the kingdom. I don't like where you came from. I don't like how you dress. Imagine if somebody would have told that to Peter and he believed it. And not only believed it, but chose not to go forward. You see, the enemy is not out here to get at you about certain things. The enemy is worried about you because of your potential. They know what you're capable of when you put your mind to it. They know what you're capable of because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so there's a limit to that. You attack people because of their potential. So Peter did all of these things. But what if somebody would have said he was not good enough for this and he believed it? One thing to know about the author of both the gospel according to Luke and Acts, 
was written by the same person, but one thing to know about the way he does certain things is there's a pattern to everything that he does, and signs and wonders take place before important events in the Bible. And so you have, before we get to the part that was in your reading, we have Peter, who has performed some signs and wonders. He heals Aeneas and Lydia, and then he raises Tabitha through prayer before he has this conversation with Cornelius. Some people call this passage the conversion of Cornelius, but it's just as much a conversion for Peter as it is for Cornelius. All right, all right. First off, uh, Cornelius is a God-fearer. And because he's a God-fearer, he has a vision at the ninth hour or 3 p.m. our time. Mm -hmm. And when he has this vision at the ninth hour, God comes to him and says to send some people to Joppa and find somebody whose surname is Peter. Hmm. All right. Tells him at the ninth hour to go get him because he says, God has heard your prayers. And God is going to do something about it. And so he tells them to go send some of your men to Joppa. There's going to be a man by the name of Peter. And you find him and bring him to your house. At that same time, the ninth hour, 3 p.m., in Joppa, Peter is on a rooftop praying. And he is having a dream, a vision, a word from the Lord. And, and basically... A picnic blanket, if you will, comes down from the sky, and it has a bunch of animals on it. Those that, by according to the, the tradition, we the people of God were not supposed to eat. And God tells Peter in this vision, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And Peter says, Lord, how can I eat something that's unclean? And God tells him in this vision, don't call anything I've cleaned unclean. And while I'm on the rise, Peter, kill and eat thing, that's something that I've learned about some of our so-called Bible scholars who like to disprove certain things wrong. Or, or not disprove certain, try to prove certain things wrong about the Bible. I tell you all the time, the misery is where your ministry is at. And I deal with people who read the Bible. And the first thing they say about, oh, if you're really a Bible believer, why are you eating shellfish? Why are you eating pork? Why do you have a mixed fabric outfit on? Because the Bible says in all of those things that you're not supposed to do that. So why are you doing it? But nobody ever has a response to the scripture when it says rise, Peter, kill and eat. Because rise, Peter, kill and eat is telling them those things that he's needing to, 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 to go after because Jesus has made it clean again. Hmm. All of those rules, certain rules we were supposed to follow only until Jesus came. Those were your ceremonial laws. And then there were certain rules you were to continue to follow on and those were your, your, your actual moral laws. So there are some things that we did on, in, in place of waiting for a Messiah. But now that the Messiah has come and gone and died and rose again from the dead, we no longer have to wait for that. You don't pass out flyers to a party after the party is over, do you? Hmm. 
So those are the things that we're doing. We are no longer waiting for a Messiah. So those are things that we don't have to do anymore. So rise, Peter, kill, and eat anything that God has said. He cleaned. We can't call unclean. So if they're not wearing what we think they ought to wear when they come into the church, we ought not say anything about it. If they don't come from the background that we think they ought to have come from, we ought not say anything about it because God is cleaning them up. It's not our job to clean them up. It's God's job to clean them up. And when God cleans them up, we can't say they unclean. Mm. What, you think you can do a better job than Jesus? Mm. Don't call anything that I have cleaned unclean. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that when they said he was going to find Peter, Peter was living with a tanner. So he was already on his conversion. A tanner is someone that that stretches out the skin and makes those nice leather boots that people like to wear and leather jackets. And so there's someone that has to work with animals. And here you have this man of God who has these rules that they're supposed to certain things that they're not supposed to be around, clean and unclean, different things. And he has to stay in the house of somebody whose profession his doctrine would have despised. Mm. Mm -hmm. But if God is willing to work with anyone, he most certainly will work with a tanner. Mm. So they find Peter, and Peter comes to Cornelius, and they have a conversation. Right after Peter finishes praying, the soldiers arrive, and they find him. And Peter now understands when we come to the text the realization of what that was all about. He goes to Cornelius' house. He goes to Cornelius' house. Mm -hmm. He goes to Cornelius' house. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. He went to the soul he was trying to save. And when you look in Acts again later on, there's going to be somebody by the name of Philip that chases down a eunuch. Mm -hmm. He went out after the person he was trying to save. Mm -hmm. There's a problem I've I've come across with uh, particularly uh, the church in general. I won't say any specific church. I'm going to just say the church in general. We want our churches to survive, but we're not willing to go to a Cornelius's house. Mm-hmm. All right. Church after church after church that I've worked with, and church after church after church that I've seen other people work with, we always talk about reclamation. We want to bring back the old members that went away, but we don't talk about bringing in new members. We love the quote, come out from among them. But we don't quote being made fishers of men. We don't go after them. How can we expect to survive and thrive? Peter didn't tell Cornelius, well, I'll see you at 11 o'clock on service time. He went to him. Philip didn't pass out a track 
in a Walmart parking lot. He went to him. If we want to do more than just be shut down, to avoid being shut down, rather, we will have to go to people. We can't expect everybody to just come to us. If that was the way it worked, there wouldn't be 6.3 million people in the Houston metropolitan area with only 400,000 people going to church on Sunday. We wouldn't have the large number of people saying, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, which means I believe in something, but I don't necessarily want to go to church about it. Mm. Peter went to Cornelius and he realized from that in the text, he says he now understands that God shows no partiality. Mm Mm-hmm. Here they had been practicing under the belief that they were the apple of God's eye and they were the chosen ones and they were the the only ones there. And that's okay, but just understand that there are other people too. God loves all his children and he doesn't love anyone more than the other. So God shows no partiality. And he spoke to him and he gave a clarification on the sermon and the visions that Cornelius had been having and, and, and explained the scriptures that he had been reading. He gave it to him. He, he talks about the message of the gospel there in verse 36 and 37 that you know the word which was proclaimed throughout Judea, the again from ba- uh, Galilee and from after the baptism that he preached. And before that, and it says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. It didn't say he's Lord of Israel. Mm. He didn't say he was Lord of Galveston. didn't say he was Lord of St. Paul United Methodist Church. He is, but he's Lord of all. We have to do more about reaching out to the people to share this Jesus with them. And not necessarily think that we are better than them. You know, being a pastor by profession, I've learned that they actually classify different types of churches. And one thing that's dealt with often is what's called a family church. And in these family churches, they have a certain amount of membership. And it's not necessarily any particular number that goes to the membership. But what's indicative of a family church is that it's all one or two families running the church. And the problem with, one or two, with these one or two families running the church is when new people try to come, even the people who are not physically in that same family, they've been around long enough to be considered family. And so when new people come to these family churches, they have a hard time fitting in because they don't understand the family dynamic. It looks clickish to them, and so they leave because they don't fit in. So while family churches are close-knit, family churches are hard to grow. Because the people don't go to see Cornelius. They expect Cornelius to go see them. And not only do they expect Cornelius to come see them, they expect Cornelius to act like them. They expect Cornelius to talk like them. They expect Cornelius to dress like them. They expect Cornelius to work the kind of job that they had. They expect Cornelius to have the education that they have and hang around the type of people that they have. But these aren't the people that need Jesus all the time. The church is not a showcase for saints. It's a hospital for sick people. All right. 
So he reaches out and says that Jesus is Lord of all. He gives them the message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he was sent to save us. And then when he gets past the message, he talks about the Messiah in 38. That God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, there was a bunch of people out there claiming that they were the Messiah. And there was a bunch of other people out there looking for the Messiah, but he was telling them that he was the real one. The Savior, the anointed one, the one that came to save us from all of our sins. The Messiah, the Savior. So he talks about the Messiah of the gospel, and then he talks about how he ministers and we are witness, the ministers of the gospel, rather, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem. So not only is there a Messiah, but there are ministers. And the ministers, by minister, by definition, you're supposed to be responsible for something. It's not a title that means you're on your way to pastor. When you are a minister, you are responsible for things. And so these people were responsible. They had walked with Jesus. And so they were responsible for spreading that word. Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus said himself to go make disciples all over the world and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is what we are supposed to do. Are we doing it? So they're the ministers of the gospel. Because they were there, they were eyewitnesses to the, crucifix, to the crucifixion and the resurrection. That was what they made the, the criteria be for the apostles. The people that were called apostles were those who saw Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not those who paid money to a bunch of other apostles to put on a fancy... Let me stop. Uh, <clears throat> So there are Messiah, there's the, there's the message, and there's the Messiah of the gospel, and then there's the ministers of the gospel who have their responsibility. They went out and went to people. I'm not saying that people won't darken your doors asking about Jesus. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is you will catch more if you go out to them. I don't fancy myself much of a fisher, But I know if I never get in the boat and go out on the water, I can't catch any fish. I can't sit in my house and say that if the fish really want it, they'll come to me. We have to get out there and I can't judge the fish that I catch. That is what we do. So Jesus uh, Jesus is preached by Peter in a sermon. There's no nation of salvation apart from Christianity that is applied that everybody's got to be righteous before they accept. You come as you are. Jesus will meet you where you're there. And then I like Peter again because Peter is a orator. Peter is a preacher. Peter has some sound doctrine. And time after time, when you read in Acts 4 and in Acts 10 and all over the Bible, whenever Peter talks about it, Peter preaches a sermon. And, they tell, and he says, and he witnessed of all things that he did both in the land of the Jews of Jerusalem who they knew. And they killed him by hanging on a tree. 
And God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly. Peter taking that sermon, that sermon that we like to all hear. I grew up under some old school preachers. And when I grew up under some of these old school preachers, it didn't matter where they started. Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus. It didn't matter if they was in the Acts. It didn't matter. But they knew somewhere in the sermon where he's saying that they killed him by hanging him on the tree and God raised him up on the third day. You knew somewhere in the sermon we were going to hear about one Friday morning on a hill called Calvary where they took my savior and hung him up between two thieves and he died. Didn't he die? Died until the moon was dripped in blood. Died until the earth reeled and rocked like a natural man. Died until the centurion said, surely surely this must be the son of God but they wouldn't stay there they had to go to the third part and they kicked their leg back and say early he got up with all power in his hands and so I like that Peter Peter who was a denier Peter who had a temper Peter who wasn't necessarily fit for the kingdom was able to preach this sermon all over Acts he was able to tell everybody about Jesus just as he told Cornelius, just as he told the Jewish council that pulled him in to try to take him to court for what he had done. That's what he told until he died. Always told the story about Jesus. And he commanded us, it says in verse 42, to preach to the people, to testify that it was he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Commanded commands are not meant to be disobeyed. When you put in a command, something is supposed to happen in response. And so God commanded them to preach the gospel and that's what they did. Because had they not gone around and preached the gospel, we wouldn't be standing here today on Sunday. Had they not reached out to the people like Cornelius, had they not reached out to the people that weren't born into the faith, the church would not have grown. So this was a conversion for Peter just as much as it was for Cornelius. Here, Cornelius is coming to Christ. But Peter is learning that he can't be prejudiced about who gets into the kingdom. He is commanded to preach the gospel. And to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins through his name through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins I like that part because it's that name that demons start to tremble it's that name that every enemy is going to be defeated it's that name that has power in it it's not just a title it's the name When you put your name on something, you stake your reputation on it. There are certain expectations that go with it. When you see a brand name on a product, you know what to expect out of it. And when you see a bad name on a product, you know what to expect out of it. But this name, this name, Jesus, you get the remission of sins. This name that is above every name. This name that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus is Lord and that's what Peter was offering to Cornelius it didn't matter about Cornelius's past it didn't matter about Cornelius's social status everybody could have access to Jesus 
based on that and that name that name above all names there is a name that I love to hear I love to sing its worth it sounds like music in my ear the sweetest name on earth and how they used to say it is oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus oh how I love Jesus because he first loved me and it's that love that gives me access to the kingdom the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come